so welcome to the Chaos Cast. We are glad to have you. This is a podcast exclusive. Uh, I got my friend Jeremy Calgaro on with us. He is, now, now I believe did I hear this right, Jeremy? You are a you're a former uh, Army SEER trainer. I was a SEER instructor. I taught survival with the Marine Corps in Bridgeport, and I also taught with the National Guard and a little bit with the active Army. Uh, I've taught survival classes, private survival classes, and I've deployed five times. I've been to a lot of different places, and uh, pretty much this has been my obsession for years and years and years. <laughs> so, so Jeremy's one of my go-to guys. Uh, I have a group of guys on, uh, well, really across social media that I go to, that, you know, if I've got it, something I don't know, one of these guys will know. And so Jeremy's right up in there. He, you, 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 this is your life. You've got the farm, you've got the whole, the whole nine yards. You are, uh, I remember one time you told, uh, Ryan in, uh, one of our discuss live stream discussions, I've been doing this for a long time. I'm level one because we were trying to do levels of, of preparedness and you were like, I'm, le- I'm, I'm an A. He, he he went by it, but I I mean from what you told me I it, I it, really believe it. I can honestly say, even if I didn't have my farm, I yeah I'd be fine. It going out in the woods is not well, a big that's thing. That's the goal: self sufficiency. Huh? Have having that knowledge. Oh yeah, I, that, um, that's true self sufficiency. Oh yeah. Um, a lot of people don't realize what it takes for the knowledge it takes for self-sufficiency. Everybody's putting up food, they're putting up, you know, water, they're putting up tools and ammo. I mean, if you don't got the right knowledge, it ain't going to matter if you have those things. Um, <laughs> you, you, you can lose it all in a fire. You know, we, I think that, um, that Ingus prepper, mm-hmm. now he was, uh, he lost everything in a fire over in South Africa. And if we think it's bad here, I mean, South Africa is rough. I mean, they have riots every day, food, uh, theft, uh, farms being raided. But, uh, you know, you, you were talking before we got started. You had, um, just, like, it, it, from what I was reading, it was uh, just kind of how we got to where we are and how we can kind of get out of where, where we are. Because they boxed us in a hole. Uh, we're completely dependent upon the government in a lot of cases. Um but, you know, when you look at it, most people don't realize how screwed they are. And it, a lot of people are. We had willing, a major disaster. Yeah. A lot of people aren't willing to be dependent or independent because they like it cushy. They like it nice. They like it soft. They like things easy. They don't want to have to stress about it. That's where they start getting that whole ostrich head in the sand because yeah ostriches yeah and they would rather ignore something altogether than understand that they're going to be miserable at some point doesn't matter how self-sufficient you are you're not going to be as comfortable with your life as you are right now yeah i mean we we've got that's why people come together in societies it's easier to survive in groups and 
ease of survival is is what humans look for. I mean, it's what we it's what made us the top of the 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 scale, the food chain. You know, that's that we we have that little bit of something different than the rest of creation. And that's what we look for. And, and the easier it gets, the lazier we get. So uh, we get used to it real quick, it seems like. Um, oh, yeah. And, yeah, and um, it's one of those things that we get complacent with it as well. We take it for granted. You know, um, and one of the things that that we kind of look at, what made this Western world so easy, and a lot of it had to do with America. It started in, in Europe, but... A lot of it had to do with America because you had a lot of people just scrabbling to survive. So literally everything they could come up with, they did. But we were really good at producing food. We had some really fertile land. And I think that's the key thing is having having enough food to be able to sit down and think. You're not just continuously thinking about survival. And, and oh, yeah. so there... There's a lot of inventions um, that have have kind of led us to the point we're at, and that was something you know you you were wanting to touch on. Um, what how, how would you want, how would you like to st- uh, what what would you like to start on that point? Where, where would you like to to take our focus on that point? So everything about humanity is uh, and everything about life is about continuing life. And one of the biggest things that humanity has been good at is creating inventions and coming up with new ways to make things easier to keep life going and to create new life. Um, Whether it be with farming or industry. uh, And every time that we hit one of those milestones, like the wheel, the wheel was a huge one. All of a sudden we can start transporting our goods and our food and stuff with us long term. Uh, bread was a huge one. We took grain and we learned how to grind it up, add some water, and then all of a sudden we have uh, a calorie-dense food that can last, that, that can get cooked with grain that we can keep in a clay pot or in a basket for months. Um, that bread is what's getting me right now. That? I think I'm really surviving right now. Yeah. Um, that's, that's the thing we're trying to cut out of our diet, but I think if it went down, we're going to be begging for it back. But also, <laughs> but, uh, too, we'll be working so hard that, see, that's the one thing that has been oh, tough for humanity now is that we're not working as hard as we used to, so we don't need the calories that we used to need. And mm-hmm. that 3,000-a-day calorie index that they came up with, that has everything to do with somebody who's working hard all day. Uh, somebody who's oh, yeah. working hard all day, if they're eating 3,000 calories, for the most part, will be okay. That's why MREs are a full day. One MRE is a full day's ration of food. But you have guys yeah. that are eating well, that's why your hikers four MREs. And your, that's why your hikers and your outdoorsmen carry such calorie-dense food, you know, um, it's you've got to burn. I'm I'm going to be going on a big hike here pretty soon, so I've been kind of getting in my mind what I want to take because I know I'm going to be getting hungry. I'm going to need some something quick to eat while we're walking, and uh, then at the end of the day, I'm going to want a good meal. You know, so I've got the Ready Wise uh, adventure packs in there. So I, they sent me a crap load of them. So I'm going to be ch- uh, checking them out. Oh. By the way, shameless spill. Chaos Ten is the code. Go to. 
go through our link and get a it'll be it'll be in the description. Go get you ten percent off. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't um, lie. I, I I use them when I go hiking and stuff like that every once in a while. And what I'll do is I'll take uh, is I'll make jerky with like a stew seasoning or what have you, and I'll toss that in with the water while it's cooking with the meal. Oh yeah, we're talking dead on. That's, and that's yeah, that's like a bouillon cube. Or uh, we actually that, have some, that's some protein. I'll, I'll, <laughs> um. Uh, have you seen the bacon in a can? I, I, I know I've we're going off it. on a tangent. I've eaten it. Is, is it good? It's not bad. It, all right, so I don't it's know if you guys have Save a Lot down where you're at, but we have Save a Lot up here, and they have a shelf-stable bacon pack. And it's the same thing. Uh, you, you're talking about like the Oscar Mayer um, microwavable bacon type stuff that's already fully cooked and everything? Yeah, it's the same thing. Okay, then yeah, I've thought about uh, stocking up on that. How long do you think that would last on a shelf? Honestly, that'll last uh, two, three years without a problem, as long as, long as you're. So what about the, the room, can? Uh, the can, the can will be fine. It's a sealed can. It, it's it's sitting in its own oils. It's just like uh, canning bacon. I've done that. It'll last fine as long as you don't have it sitting where it's warm all the time. If you have a cool room, yeah, it's gotta be. Yeah. yeah, that that's my main concern. You know, if if you know civilization has completely fallen when you don't have access to good quality bacon, and that <laughs> is that is my thing. I want to have bacon. I'm going to talk to Ready Wise about they need a number ten can of bacon in their their uh, system because. That's the one thing I've not seen yet. I mean, well, maybe some bacon beer. But. Also, too, all right, so the thing with bacon and all that is that fats don't freeze dry well. Uh, they really, yeah, and that's one of the things that uh, that's part of the whole discussion is uh, that's why we had refrigeration. That's why refrigeration kicked our life expectancy up so well was because we were able to keep meats for a long time. Uh, for where we can keep those fats for a while to where we can go back and we can cook something that we killed months ago rather than having to jerk um, everything and store everything dry. Because when I you was, store dry, uh, it doesn't watching, have that. I was watching, um, you know, basically it was that, it was, oh Lord, uh, History Channel, Made in America type deal showing how everything became the way it was. And they were talking about bird's eye. And how they learn how to, you know, flash freeze the food, yeah. and and that was. To, I remember a lot of different things I've read in the reminisce magazines about frozen vegetables kind of changing the game, causing refrigerators and and freezers to become more commonplace, in especially in the supermarkets and the delis. And um, now it, it's just it's it's amazing. It's an everyday thing now they used to have ice boxes where you buy your ice and now we have uh, refrigerators (laughs) well that is very had people on farms used to have ice houses where you would gather up your ice you would freeze ice throughout the winter and pack it into this ice house and you would Mm -hmm. pull it either pull it out little bit by little bit to have the ice or you would put your meat stores you would put all your stuff that you need to store in that ice house 
And a lot of times you'd have that ice house would be buried into a hill. And then right next to, uh, right next to that would be your root cellar. Cause then the root cellar would be able to stay cool as well, or a little, a couple more degrees cooler than it already was. And like a refrigerator. Yeah. And with just the transfer of temperature. And so it was one of those things that, uh, with refrigeration and with freezing, especially with bird's eye with their flash freezing and stuff like that, our population jumped, our life expectancy as a whole jumped. And it was because mm-hmm. all of a sudden we we're able to get these vet fruits and vegetables that we were, if we canned them, yeah, that was great. But that canning's only been around since World War One, uh, not World War One, since the Civil War. It was the Napoleonic Wars. No, the canning itself, the modern process of canning, started with a competition that Napoleon did because he wanted to be able to have some way to get food out to his troops without it rotting. And so it started off with a wax top. And okay. yeah, it was it was a glass jar with a glass lid with a wax top. And they so they would use beeswax. Beeswax is what what um, they used to seal off a lot of uh, black powder rifles and stuff back mm-hmm. in the day to kind of waterproof it, wasn't it? Beeswax is also what they use. Uh, they did that, and they also used beeswax to uh, seal the jars that were holding all the seeds uh, that we find in like Egypt and the Middle East, where we're finding these jars full of seed, and then hundreds and hundreds of years later, we're sprouting those plants. And speaking, yeah, uh, that's wild. Um, I was listening to this guy talk, and he lives up in Alaska. They had him on Joe Rogan's show, and uh, he was talking about finding all these saber tooth tiger heads and mastodon bones. But the seeds were coming unfrozen out of the permafrost and were sprouting up. And he said, It's like nothing that grows around here. It's wild how, how seeds can do, you know, just do what they do. It's that, that. Whole miracle, I guess oh, you'd yeah. say that God created for us. And and, with, and it is, and with the and still with that freezing, uh, we have our freezers and all that. Our the world's doomsday mm. seed stocks that we have, the seed banks that we have, are in giant industrial freezers in the middle of really cold areas, so that the freezers don't have to work as huh. hard. Uh, like up in Iceland and uh, what was it, Iceland or Greenland? And they have that that doomsday seed um, seed storage. Um, that, that's kind of it seems to me where they started getting more control with the government. You know, with with the um, with the the dust bowl, we went into more hybridized seed. Now it saved our butts, but now you actually have people like Monsanto that have uh, that have been allowed to have patents on their. Um, their hybridized seed. Uh, we had a gentleman uh, here local that kept his seed and replanted, and they came in and ended up, um, you know, suing him because he went and sold. Mm-hmm. It's something he normally did, and they sued him because they owned the patent on that seed that he kept, and it ruined him. His wife left him. I think he ended up committing suicide because of what it did to his life. But yeah. It's amazing. We went from, you know, every family had their seed 
And then we went, well, you've got to wait for somebody to send you seed to be able to plant. Oh, yeah. And and currently, all right, so there are, you hear stories every now and then of these heirloom seed savers, the, the seed banks and stuff, uh, not Baker Creek, but uh, like there was a story I read not too long ago about an older man who went through and he saved apple seeds. And he saved apple seeds for like 70 years where he had something like, a few thousand different heirloom type apples that uh, seed for those apples that he can grow along with all sorts of other types of heirloom seeds and groups like Monsanto and stuff like that, that are trying to shut those guys down. Number one, so that they can get access to those heirloom seeds so that they can kind of screw around with them and see what they can come up with. But also too, because as long as those people are having their own seed and producing their own seed, they can kind of, so let's say you need a, a seed that does this. Well, chances are that guy has a seed that can do that. You don't have to have Monsanto go and create it. You just have to go through and see what his notes are. Oh, I have this seed here that was planted in this state at this time that had these characteristics. And so stuff like that actually scares bigger companies like that. It's kind of a great thing. It's like a David and Goliath. Only instead of David having a sleeve, David had a sling. David has a freaking cannon. <laughs> so my son, he's actually messaging me about our heirloom seeds. Uh, w w that's something we got into this year. I'm on eBay trying to buy. You know, been buying them the last few years. I've got some sorghum and things, and he's he's sprouting. And he's he just sent me a message. Uh, he said, hey. I just thought about it. I put that seed in upside down. I just want to let you know. I'm like, you done planted it. I can't, ain't nothing I can do. Uh, it, we done it got should, it as long as the ground's loose enough, it should be fine. Yeah. Well, well what we've done, we're putting them in those, uh, the dollar store. They have those biodegradable seed pods now that look yeah. like a, like an, like an ice tray. And I have some left from last year and, um, uh, we're, we're going to sprout. We've sprouted them in napkins. Which they 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 got going real good in the napkin. I let them keep going. So now all I had to do was tear the napkins and then just put them in the soil because they started taking root in that wet napkin. Yeah, yeah. I started uh, so, even though I'm not big on big seed companies. I started getting the burpee reusable um, trays with the silicone bottoms, and I started doing okay. that because I figure eventually the silicone's going to go bad. And that'll come out of there, but then I'll be able to use those as seed blocks and just pretty much just shape um, the, the dirt as blocks. Well, so it, will it, would it shock the roots taking them out of those reusable silicone things? Not if you get them out early enough. And that's the big thing is that you have uh, a lot of people leave their plants in so long that the roots are hitting those walls and starting to circle around. Like if you pull a seed, if you pull a seedling out of one of those and there are so many roots that you can't see any dirt anymore, you've left it in there too long. You should be able, it should be a good mix of roots and dirt and soil that you're seeing when you pull those out so that you're not, it won't shock them also too. If you go through and they're already wrapping around that seed pod, uh, they're already wrapped around that dirt pod. Uh, then mm -hmm. at that point, when they go to go grow out, it's going to take them longer to grow out because they have to get out of the habit of growing in a circle or a square. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. So, do you think that the biodegradable seed pods? Do you think those would help or hinder in that process? With because you're planting them in that into the ground. I, I can honestly say I've never had those work. You haven't? Oh no! Uh, I've, time, I mean, I've had good success with seedlings out of them. But. Well, your your soil is probably a bit different than mine too. We have clay. So if you put that seed pod oh. in there, forget that it doesn't break down. You have to grow mm-hmm. the, uh, like in my raised beds, I could probably use them, but anything in yeah. the ground, I can't. And I do a lot of plants in the ground. Um, actually, um, yeah. my soil is now starting to change over where my beds and stuff are because I've grown so many plants and tilled them under that is now starting to do the change over to actual topsoil for decent depth. Yeah. Well, see, that's, um, we have red clay mud when you dig down deep enough, but this property I have, we, uh, it was my great grandfather's. Well, my uncle, um, he might've been a great, yeah, he was a great, uh, you know, yeah, he was my great uncle cause it's my dad's uncle, but he went around for 4-H planting pine trees, which to me, a lot of times is one of the worst things to plant over top of where it used to be hardwood trees. But, the amount of uh, the amount of uh, carbon and and breakdown that got in the soil. I mean, we have this rich black dirt, and oh, yeah. then they had us. Uh, what is um? Uh, they had an outhouse over there, so so that's over there too. There's worms all in it. Oh, so yeah. when I till it, you know, there's worms, and you get a little bit of uh, the field dirt, like the 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 mix of of the um, chert. But something else I'm fixing to do is I'm going to take dirt out of the woods because we have these just great black dirt up in the woods. I'm going to take that and mix it with my rabbit uh, castings, uh, my, my rabbit poop. And, man, that stuff, I started digging in that the other day for a post. Man, every scoop there was worms. And I'm like, yeah, so we there's, got something good. There's a trick with that rabbit poop, and I know you probably have chickens too. Take both yeah. of those. Get a 55-gallon drum or like a 30-gallon drum or something like that, uh, one of the plastic ones. Put about a five-gallon bucket of poop from the rabbits and the chickens in there and fill it full of water. And then let that sit and stagnate. You put a lid on it and all that. Let it sit and stagnate, and you keep it in the shade. It'll warm itself up. And then in about a week, you take that water, and you spread that over where you're going to plant. You spread that about a week ahead of time. What that's going to do oh, is that's going to add is it's going to add all those microbes into the soil. Like it, after you've tilled your your ground or after you've set your ground, then put the water on it, let it sit for like a day or two, and then plant everything. And what that's going to do is that's going to introduce microbes that you're killing off with the tilling and prepping, yeah. and it's going to introduce microbes back into the ground. So that when you put those plants in there, they'll feed off each other and make those plants grow faster. The one good thing I've seen with a lot of your uh, container gardening is, is once you let it set, you, you don't have to do a ton of tilling. You just got to keep the mm-hmm. rain from impacting it and things. And um, so that's going to be the goal this year. I've got, I've you know, I've got everything squared away. I got a top on my chicken pen now. I was letting them things just run wild. Then the hawk came and that was my bad. I already knew better, but, um, 
now I've got the rabbit cage squared away on this, uh, possibly this weekend or the next, I'm going to get my raised bed going. I've got all my seeds sprouting. And then in my, my normal gardening area, I've got my strawberry patch. I'm going to do my potatoes and then I'm going to do uh, corn down at the bottom in about eight rows. I'm going to, I'm not, I don't plant a ton of corn, but my wife's wanting that. And I'm going to plant some beans around the side to kind of, nitrogenate that soil a little more i'm gonna mm -hmm. definitely be tilling in like you're talking about with with the rabbit and chicken poop i've done that pretty regular pig we, we tilled in after i got rid of the pigs i still got tons of that left in there and um for the last few years so i figured still got everything it needs in it but uh we're gonna dump that in there too and oh yeah man i had a squash come up out of that poop pile at the pig mm -hmm. I didn't plan it. It had to have been something we fed them. So. The, but. so every time that we went overseas and you'd have the cesspools where all the sewage and stuff would go to sit uh, before they handle it and it, they clear it out and make it safe to dump into the ground. So these big cesspools, you know that besides the smell, you knew that you're around the cesspools because corn and tomatoes would pop up all around them. Yeah, my uncle has talked about uh, in his trailer park, they had the septic tank was kind of overflowing in a certain area. And um, he's got his own lot that he owns now. But um, he his, still, his stuff would still be running in that septic tank. He said he'd have to go over and check everything every once in a while. But you'd see that little bit of overflow, and they would always be the – he said they were the prettiest tomatoes. He said, mm -hmm. I thought about getting one, but then I, I, I thought about them growing up out of that septic tank. I just didn't think they'd be any good. I said, as, they're probably better than anything you can get as, as long as there's not a lot of chemicals in it, as long as you're not adding a lot yeah. of chemicals to it, I guarantee you those were the best tomatoes you'll ever have. And yeah, I had people that used to look at me funny because I'd, I'd be out there. There'd be no chemicals in those pools because the military is really big about not dumping chemicals into their wastewater to, that's going to get dumped in the ground because they're in enough trouble about polluting the ground. So Camp Lejeune over. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Camp Lejeune, freaking Hawaii, freaking like there's a laundry list. And, uh, <laughs> But yeah, no, they were great tomatoes. Everyone's just looking at me funny, but I'm like, best tomatoes you'll ever eat. And not only that, they were huge and they were like the perfect color. And the plants were growing out where you'd have a, a plant growing without a support system going straight up in the air, five, six feet up in the air, <laughs> full of tomatoes. Dang, that's a strong tomato right there. Oh, oh. yeah. The I wish I would have some seeds. Now, maybe it's good or bad, but I was digging. I had to dig up a line that went to my septic tank from the house to replace it. It was an old metal shell type, and I was replacing it with a clean-out valve. When I was digging around, you know, you, there was obvious seepage because it had rusted through yeah. and everything. Worms, some of the fattest worms mm -hmm. you would ever think of around. I'm like, man, there's something to this uh this recycled human waste growing here. I said, and, these worms is loving it over here. Well, and, and what it is, is that, so all the, if you notice when you're digging that up, the roots were a little difficult to get through. It's because the plants were growing extremely well and the root and the worms oh, yeah. eat those roots. They eat what the plants freaking break up. And so those plants have broken up a lot and the roots have, are there. So there's plenty of cellulose for them to eat. 
And so they'll, they're going to town. They're going to go to town. And, oh, yeah. This is a good fishing bait right there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I know I took us off the, the inventions uh, kind of a little bit, but, but, you know, we got to talking about refrigeration. What else would you like, would you say would point, uh, you know, kind of gave us that, you know, we were great at growing food. Obviously, we're talking about everything mm-hmm. that the old timers did and the things we do now. So, so you go past the food preservation. What would you say, besides the refrigeration? What what other inventions would you say were key to extending our survival and extending our life expectancies? Well, first off, was the plow. Plow was a huge thing, and our pop, the population in the world bolted after the plow was introduced mm. to the populace. And the first plows were just pieces of wood that were being drugged through the ground with just a stick. And uh, mm-hmm. to where they tied it off to an animal or they had somebody pulling it and the person was pushing down into the stick and cutting a row. Once they realized that they can cut rows and organize what they were planting, we moved from being a hunter-gatherer to an actual agrarian culture. Uh, when we started get when we started gathering actual herd animals, goats, uh, we moved away from being that hunter gatherer. And then we started being able to plan our food. That was the biggest issue was we didn't, we went from not knowing where our next meal was going to come from to being able to plan out our survival. And everything that we've done has made it to where we can plan out our survival just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. And we get separated from that. Um, I wouldn't say the, the animal man, but we move away mm. from that less sophisticated being and go. Yeah. That hunter, the hunter gatherer type was more, we were, we were acting more like the herds. We were following the herds and now we went into being able to stay in one space place. So we did have, we had an easier way of defending, you know, ourselves and our families. We, yeah. we could build stationary homes. Um, you know, now, I just thought about this, uh, the tractor. Where was, uh, w- did we invent the tractor in America, or was I that believe, something in Europe? I believe it was, um, no, it wasn't Eli Whitley. Eli Whitley did the um, cotton gin. Tractors have been around for a long time. Uh, your first tractors were steam-powered. Um, yeah. And I'm not exactly sure as to what, where the first ones were. But the first ones were like massive and we're talking extremely like uh, one of the first steam engines to uh, for mining was here in the U.S. But it wasn't that far off of uh, horse and buggies. And I'm pretty sure that the first tractors were out here as well. Um, And that was a huge leap for us as well, because we we went from having horse drawn metal plows that a horse is one horsepower. If you had two horse, you have two horsepower. Your average tractor has like, uh, back then, the steam power tractors, three, four, five, maybe six horsepower. So you're breaking dirt that you couldn't break before. You're you're busting, uh, that's why they call them sod busters. You're busting sod, you're busting grass that had never been busted before. You're bu- going through fields and breaking up rock clusters that we couldn't do with the single horse or two horses or three horses. And 
I mean, anybody who's ever been around somebody who actually works a horse team plowing, that is a painful process. I do not yeah. know a single person that does that, that does not use four letter words on a regular basis. <laughs> and my, my friend, Will, now he, he does this and he's actually got the old equipment, like the old horse drawn mm-hmm. hay cutters and rakes. I mean, he kind of collects that stuff, I guess, to a degree. But um, and and he loves that stuff. Now I don't I don't know if he cusses and uses four letter words. Uh, I've not heard him say much of them. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ask him that question. I said, my buddy says everybody cusses that uses this. Do you cuss while you're using horses? <laughs> but uh, oh yeah, because you got to think horses have a mind of their own. And and if you uh, get horses that really don't like each other, one wants to go one way, oh, one yeah. wants to go the other. <laughs> yeah, that I, I'm used to just dealing with one horse. And that, uh, and, and even then, you're dealing with a very stubborn animal. Sometimes that doesn't. If it don't like you, you're not getting a good ride. Uh, I didn't use four letter words, but I have got thrown. I've got bit. I've got kicked. I've got stoned. I actually have one throw a nail into my wrist right oh, yeah. here, and it didn't go. It, it hit this bone or tendon, whatever's hard right there. It just, it just like miraculously hit that. I was like, "Thank you, Lord. I, I could have bled out right here chewing this stupid horse." But uh, it slung it right into there, and uh, I learned a lesson. You you might want to go ahead and 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 clip that nail off and rasp it. Don't put all five or ten through. <laughs> I learned real quick not to do that no more. Oh, yeah. But you know, um, when now you have you read the the one second after uh, mm-hmm. about the grid down? Okay, everybody fortune, in pretty well uh, prepped fortune. community, huh? By fortune, yeah. Yeah, the, everybody in the prepping community usually goes to that. That uh, they start in that, you know, because that kind of gives the whole premise of um, the the grid going down and how mm-hmm. it would affect modern man. And and when I was reading that, uh, they were going into uh, the whole town was mobilizing to to grow every seed that was in the town, and you had the the um, you you had your mechanics working on getting these old steam tractors that some of the collectors had up and rolling. And that was the thing they were talking about how massive they were. And you, you know, the, the, what if we, you know, the military even is concerned about this. They went before Congress. What was it? 2011 or 12. They went before Congress about this. Like what was it 70 members that or 80 members? The of first, the military? That wasn't even the first time that they went to Congress about that. They, they were going yeah. to Congress about that in case a nuclear attack happened back in the eighties, they were talking mm-hmm. about it and only we they hold a lot back in the eighties, didn't they? Yeah. Well, so most of your vehicles for the military are naturally AMP proof naturally mm-hmm. because they are a multi a multi-fuel, but they run off a of diesel. They have a fuel water separator. They have all that on the vehicle. But the biggest issue that they have is when they went from having um, carburation on the vehicle to uh, the uh, sorry, I drew a blank. Uh, the fuel um, injection, yeah, the fuel injection, and that was the biggest thing was because fuel injection is controlled by a computer. It, it, even it may mm. be a basic computer, but it's a it's a computer nonetheless. And so that was their biggest issue. Then you went through, and that's why they stuck with 
after they had the multi-fuels, they went from that to the Humvees and stuff that were just straight diesel. There's no computers anywhere in that. Uh, that's where you went to your FM and your LMTVs that were diesel. And there were computers in that, but they were behind, they were wrapped in an aluminum case that would block most of your EMP issues. Um, yeah, Faraday cage, basically. Well, not, not necessarily a Faraday cage, but it was similar. And because yeah. aluminum does very well in blocking those. That's why aluminum trash cans. You get people that are using steel and aluminum trash cans and lining it with cardboard and putting their electronics in it and going, I'm good. As long as your object doesn't have contact with that aluminum surface and has a insulator in between, you're good. And so... Uh, so you're learning here, folks, how to make a homemade Faraday cage from Jeremy Calcor. People are going to be trying to get aluminum and still trash cans to put around their computers in their cars now. And uh, honestly, <laughs> if you if you're trying if, if you're trying to do something like that and you know that something is coming, like let's say we get a 30 minute warning and you're like, I I've got everything else taken care of, but I want to save my computer. So what you do is you lay out your aluminum foil. And you set it down. Uh, I keep a good stock of aluminum foil. And you know the uh, duct tape, the aluminum ducting tape? Yeah. So I keep that. So you lay out your aluminum foil. And you either roll it up or you fold it up to where it's attached to each other. And then you tape it. And you lay it out in one big sheet. You put a cardboard box in the middle of that. You put your computer, you put your computer and your stuff in that. Then you fold your aluminum foil up and around that box and seal it up so that there's no breaks anywhere around it where that aluminum to where there's any gaps in it. And that, mm. as long as the heavy-duty aluminum foil, should do you. If you want to do two, three, four layers of it, cool. But as long as yeah. the stuff inside, there's no gaps in the aluminum, in the aluminum and the stuff inside is not touching that metal, it should be fine. Now, we're talking about grid down. Now, I see two types of grid down. I see the electromagnetic pulse we're talking about protecting from, and that's what you deal a lot with in the One Second After series. But then you look at, at Rawls at his uh, novels, and that's the mm -hmm. other grid down situation is just lack of people to run it. We're kind of getting there because you don't have – nobody is, is in the conventional work setting now. Everybody is well, starting online businesses. You'll be looking at three and, different types. You have your EMPs mm -hmm. and, and, and coronal mass ejections. You have your lack of personnel. And then mm -hmm. you have your malicious intent. Your malicious intent yeah, would be and, the guys that are hacking in and causing issues. Or like down in Georgia, they had those guys go up and they were shooting the friggin' transformers. Which they're attacking the grid in that manner all around the country. Um there is a, a friend of mine, her tag's Perky Prepper, and she's on TikTok. Uh, she's going through a certain kind of class, and the guy who is doing the training was talking about it. Now, he was in he, – he's like a – he manages that in a large uh, urban setting in a city, I believe. And he was talking about the attacks on the grid, like just a, every, every day they were mm -hmm. having those kind of attacks in that city. And, you know, that, that lack of personnel – 
kind of we're looking so we're looking at people attacking the grid right now we just had the chinese spy balloon the big red spy balloon now it was why but we had this huge spy balloon that could have carried a low yield nuke that could have you know it was high orbit uh it could have knocked our grid out and then now you you're look we're looking at possibly what Rawls always predicts is an economic collapse we have the bank runs mm-hmm. and everybody nobody's money's worth anything everybody's stealing from the stores like we've seen in buffalo uh recently so then the stores are out they're coming to your house the police are not showing up to their job military's not reporting they're going AWOL because they've got to protect their family and there's nobody there to run the nuclear power center there's mm-hmm. nobody there to run uh, the switchyards. There's nobody there running the steam plants and the solar power plants while yep. people Joe, are attacking them. Joe, <laughs> Joe and Jill six-pack don't want to run the gauntlet in their minivan just to go and provide you power. No, yeah. And well, so, and with the, the, the van life. Van life has took a significant amount of people out of the workforce. That I mean, I, I love that freedom mentality. That's mm. great. I mean, that's that's the old the old settlers mentality. You know, load up in the covered wagon and let's go out yeah. into the frontier. But we've built up a system that depends upon a on a large major scale. To me, I feel like we kind of if we're going off grid, we got to start looking at. Uh, solar, we got to start looking at hydroelectric and wind. Mm-hmm. We got to start looking at self-generated power in these communities. We got to start looking at 3D printing and milling because that's where we need AI. And, and I done, I got a segment coming up Friday about AI. That's where we need AI in a small community setting because you may not have, you may have that guy that's good at ideas and, and, and loading it into a computer coming up with parameters. But then you got this computer that can make everything the community wants. But yeah, lack of personnel—that's uh, going to allow AI to take over. I feel you, like that—that that, that, that kind of allows all of it. You want to know what? And here's something that'll chill you to the bone. So every year we have tornadoes and we have hurricanes. Kentucky just had the big windstorm, and all and all this. What happens every time that we have a hurricane? A set of tornadoes or a big windstorm or a big ice storm. Everyone sends their linemen because there's not enough to replace it. And so yeah. we're, we send them from all over the country. Now, what happens when all that stuff all over the country goes bad? And then all of a sudden, not only are we trying to replace all this stuff, but we're trying to replace all this stuff with stuff we don't have anything to replace it with. Yeah, I mean, we don't have the equipment to make the, the, the materials to replace it. Now there was uh, some rumors I heard that, that a lot of your, your utility companies were stocking up on extra materials for something like this. Uh, Trump, um, Trump and, started and, it. Uh, Trump did yeah, a big Donald thing. Yeah. Trump did a big thing when he first got into office where he started pushing for all these companies to start having spares for their, big transformers for their big converters for all their all all their big stuff where they were going to have at least enough to set up a spare to run important stuff while we come up with the rest of it to run everything else because it would really stink yeah. if we don't have any way to keep the hospitals electrified it would really stink if we can't keep the water 
purification systems running, if we can't keep the sewage systems oh, yeah. running, if we can't keep, uh, there are certain systems throughout the our industrial base that if you stop those for too long, they will harden up and stop completely. Petroleum's one, aluminum's another. Freaking any of those, uh, copper's a big one. Any of those things where they're actually moving a molten object from one place to another, if it stops moving and it cools, you might as well just cut those pipes apart and take them and replace them. Yeah. And so. Yeah, because when when I when I dealt in, uh, uh, I worked for Courts of Global. Um, when we went to do a clean out, we had to take the pipes out because you stopped it; they'd run it clean. But that stuff would just stop, and we used Dowtherm to keep it superheated and from, you know, where it would, you know, move. And when they stopped the system and they shut it down, we had to – that was our job. We, um, we would go in uh, – a lot of the floor workers on the plant would go in with, with maintenance to remove that, that pipe and ductwork and send it off to be cleaned out because even while it was moving, it had stuff building up. But even after that, you would have things that were – blockages so i see exactly what you're saying because i mean most of your refineries most of your your uh, manufacturing settings that are dealing with metals i mean your die equipment's screwed you know it's stuck in there there's it's it's there there's a whole nother system that we would all think that we can depend on that would be screwed as well Mm -hmm. that's your train system yeah. So all those train systems, all the new, all the switches and stuff that tell trains where to go here, there, and what have you, is all run off of the local electric systems. They may have battery hmm. access for a short period of time, but the thing is, is that if we don't have cell systems, if we don't have satellite systems feeding into those, if there's no power getting to those to charge the those systems, after however many days, weeks, or months. All those battery systems, all those backup systems will run out of fuel, will run out of juice. And then how do you keep one train from going down this track and not turning where it's supposed to? And it keeps going down that track and slams into another. Yeah, I mean, exactly what we're dealing with in uh, East Palestine, especially if they're carrying chemicals. So So imagine two trains like that hit each other. That man, that'd be wild, dude. That'd be and because and it, we have it, no infrastructure, got to, in them. and we have no infrastructure to warn the local areas to evacuate. We have no inf- we have no electricity to warn everyone. We have no electricity to tell people to stay out of the area. We have no power to anything to be able to go and clean it up. It's. Yeah, you wouldn't have your local fire departments or even the industrial fire departments because, and I'm going to say this, most of your local fire departments are not as well-trained and well-versed in hazmat and chemical as we were because we would have these guys coming in with scenarios for a house fire trying to apply that for search and rescue in a a factory setting. And you had the guys that had been doing it for a while that were training us. They would be a younger guy that was coming in. He'd be a smoke diver. One of the most, you know, highly trained firemen you're going to have. Smoke divers are just, that's a great program. They, they, they're, they're, they're the elite of firefighters, but yet they're not, this guy was trying to apply house fire situations to a factory. I'm like, he's like talking about reaching out from the wall with your leg. I'm like, dude, 
<laughs> we got rooms that's bigger than most houses, you know, that'll hold four or five houses. There ain't none of that. And so we had to start brainstorming for that. So then that goes back to chemical spills. Um, your, your average Joe that's a voluntary firefighter in most towns, they know a little bit, but they don't know enough to mm-hmm. – what, what if you got this chemical and that chemical? Yeah, you can grab the SDS, but can you read fast enough before that, that stuff's – 90% ready? of the chemical emergencies that happen with fire departments, they're calling poison control just like we do. Man, that's – and so, you know, I didn't know that statistic because I've, I've not served in – in a local fire department, I've mainly done in the industrial setting, but that's a that's a wild that's that's a wild statistic right there. Well, I mean, you, well you got to think about it. Do you, uh, even as a firefighter with the experience that you have, I've done some wildland firefighting, but mm-hmm. yet I and I know a bit about fire and the and the nature of fire, but I don't know what would happen to somebody if they drank Windex. I don't know what would happen to somebody mm-hmm. if they drank toilet bowl cleaner. I don't know what would happen yeah. to somebody if they went outside and they decided to chug a, a bottle of 10 W 30. And yeah. most, and most that, of I mean, and then you get your kids eating Tide Pods. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and most of your fire, fire departments, those guys don't know it all. And no, the, no. so they're calling somebody with a, a nice computer with all of it listed down. And and you think about it though, you know, not having access to that, we're so dependent on computer technology to the point we thought it was all going to end in Y two K. I don't know. I was just a kid, but I was fourteen, I think, uh, fourteen or almost fifteen when that happened, uh, and and everybody was terrified. Nothing ever happened, but you know, we're so dependent on computer technology now since you know we've come, for, you know, from World War Two. Um, I mean, it's literally an apocalypse it could cause because we don't have access. Um, I mean, and, and thinking on this this point, it would probably be good to have manuals on poison uh, on your on your different forms of poison. Now, I believe I actually have one in there uh, in my library. I got mm-hmm. so many books now, I, I'll buy stuff and forget what I got because I got piles of All just right. inform- hard information. Well, but- not only that, everyone's so used to the internet. Ask a kid what the Dewey yeah. Decimal System is. The, the what? The Dewey Decimal System. Well, I, I remember hearing about it. And the I Dewey remember, Decimal uh, System is how you find things in a library through index cards. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the card catalog. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my mind, I was sitting there thinking math for a second, and then I rem- and then you said that I remember. Yeah, that that is true. Most kids wouldn't know how to use a card catalog because that's all we of, had when we were looking for stuff. Yeah, for and a lot of adults have forgotten it. Have forgotten that. Yeah, that that blows my mind. That you know, we're sitting here. I'm supposed to be this prepper, and I've, I've prepared in all these different ways of food production and and supplies and and getting myself past that mark. And then here you are breaking up Dewey Decimal System. My mind um went blank on something I actually used to use all the time as a kid. Um, Cause they, that's something they would teach. And, and, and that was early nineties. You know, they don't teach it anymore. They teach, look it up on yeah. the internet. Uh, right look, now yeah. that their no. whole library is getting cleared out to be used for freaking computer labs. You know, um, as, as a minister, you know, I've been a minister now for 20 years and I was taught originally 
to use you, the, the average minister is to build this huge resource material library. You've got commentaries, topographical mm-hmm. Bibles, biblical dictionaries, uh, Hebrew, Greek lexicons. I've got all that out in my garage in totes. Um, I've got thousands of dollars worth of materials, uh, just resource materials to look in. And it started probably about 10 years ago. I went to using Google and I could just, you know, I, I can search it. I can find whatever I need. And so those things were just sitting on the shelf and I put them out in the garage in mothballs. I'm glad I kept them now because now I'm looking around. I'm thinking this thing could actually go down where we could see an economic collapse an EMP, mm-hmm. all this at once, because I mean, we're, we're seeing bank runs. We're seeing seven banks that are, that were being warned here recently of, of an emergency. Um, then we're seeing banks outside the U.S. affected by the SVB uh, collapse. They're not able to pay bankroll, uh, pay their payroll because that bank shut down. They're saying Etsy may not be able to pay, do the payouts to the people that are using the platform because of their investment. So um, we're seeing all across the board these things that are coming just to take them, it just seems like to take America, not just America, but the West down. We just got passed by the BRICS nations. And the BRICS nations mm-hmm. produce a, a lot of food. They they process a lot of food. And they manufacture a lot of stuff. And they hold most of the rare minerals that we use for our technology. So this thing could go down in a, in a moment like that. You know, the one second after, Jeremy, you know, we've talked about mm-hmm. these worst-case scenarios We've talked about these different technologies that allow us to to basically live these comfortable lives. But the basic thing is, is we're coming into spring. If this was to happen today, you know, you would want to start getting food in the ground because that's going to be key, food and water. What are your suggestions on um, if, if you've not planted how to get in, you know, if you've never done a garden, how to get into it, small space gardening, you know, Kind of give us your thoughts to that person that's a novice. All right. So if you're starting a garden now and the world isn't ending, the first thing I'd say is contact your your area extension office because they will be able to tell you what grows best in the area for our climate and when to start, what to start. Because a lot of people think, oh, it's spring. I could put all these seeds in the ground. Now, there are some yeah. seeds that don't work like that radish seeds, turnip seeds, freaking collard greens, uh, lettuce, believe it or not, does not grow well in the heat. Um, Mm. Stuff like that. There are certain seeds that grow well in the heat that you have to plant later in the season if you're direct sowing uh, rather than starting them in little cups. Uh, There's that. Mm -hmm. Your extension office is going to be one of your best bets. It's pretty much like, uh, so every state has a um, college that they pay that is funded to go through and do extension services where they teach planting gardening and pretty much old school stuff for agriculture to people for free and it's one of those things and they do that as a service because uh, back when it first started they understood that we have to have farming in order to live uh, mm-hmm. the, there, there are certain people that you need at all times 
uh, you need a farmer three times a day, a soldier 24 hours a day and yeah, in, in your life. And it's one of those things that three times a day, you better be thanking that farmer and those extensions office, offices are where a lot of farmers get their start. A lot of farmers learn from mm-hmm. FFA and 4-H and all that, but the FFA and 4-H are working through those extension offices to teach these younger kids how to do stuff. And yeah. so oh. that would be the biggest thing if it was a worse In the South, uh, in the South, you were mentioning about the certain seeds. There's things that I have to start growing in February and March. If I'm going to like the greens, the radishes, the carrots, potatoes, I have to start all that in March. And then I'm harvesting earlier than other things. Tomatoes, peppers. I can wait till April. I can wait till May, even June. I can plant late crops of those. And then mm-hmm. I can plant a second crop of potatoes and radishes and lettuce in the fall. So depending on where you're at, the heat index and what you're dealing with around, that's a good point. To, um, I've actually, uh, I had an elder gentleman was telling me about this. Like they have booklets and everything they can give you. They have resource material mm-hmm. they can give you, don't they? Oh, yeah. And not yeah. only do they have booklets, they have uh, back to the Internet. They have websites and stuff that you can go to. They have actual uh, – most of your extension extension offices have actual libraries. Uh, like I've worked with my local extension office who had, hadn't done it before, but uh, they started going through – and talking to the school libraries and started talking to the local libraries. So as they start getting rid of these agricultural books because they've aged out or people just aren't checking them out, they aren't just getting thrown away. So they're going to these extension offices now so that they have all that information and it doesn't just get thrown away. Uh, That's where a lot of my libraries come from is from old libraries and stuff like that. So so they they actually have the books on location in a, a library? A lot a lot of times uh, the library will. And if the library doesn't have it, a lot of times your extension office will have books on it. If not, they'll have uh, e-books that you can download and be able to use that. Because uh, you got to think they are a college that is teaching. Uh, they are part of a college that is teaching agriculture. So they have those textbooks mm-hmm. as well. They have access to all the textbooks. They have access to the professors. They have access to the college students that are doing whatever funky science project that you just happen to be doing that year. Plus, they have record of all those other prior college students that were doing their funky science experiments <laughs> to, to get whatever degree they were going to get. So you never know if one kid just may have come up with something that is write down exactly what you're doing and happens to have that information available to you. So what you're telling me is you've, you've actually found a logical use for a college student. <laughs> yeah. my, my Lord, you finally, you finally figured it out. <laughs> we all was wondering what they, what good they were for. And now we found out, uh, uh, they can put that stuff. And I'm joking when I say that, cause I know there's some good folks out there that worked hard and learned a lot in college. Then you have your hangers on that just got through, and then they put them in charge of my whole factory, and they run it in the ground. And I've seen it. <laughs> I not said that. <laughs> but now, um, so we're kind of coming to the end of the segment here, and, you know, you're talking about this spring planning. What would you like to kind of finish on the, thought, the finishing thoughts that you would like to add to this 
uh, as we come to a close. All right. So right now would be the best time for everybody to, everyone is still stocking up and doing all that. Uh, there are three things I want people to look at right now for uh, this week to kind of pay attention to is I want them to look at their, if they've got a year's worth of canned goods, what they think is a year's worth of canned goods to count how many cans those are and think about that and the amount of jars they would need to replace that. And that is a good, yeah. And then also too, not only the jars, what kind of shelving are they going to need to hold that weight? And to look at how many lids that they would need. Because they don't need the bands. You can keep reusing the bands. But the thing is, is how many lids would you need? And how many lids do you have over for, let's say, if it's an extended grid down situation and we can't replace those? Then how many sets of those lids for that whole set of jars? Hmm. And that's that what is a good doing. idea. And that's what your grandmother was working with back in the day. And mm-hmm. that's why when I see a stack of jars on Facebook's, uh, the Facebook marketplace or something like that, I see about getting that set of jars. If I go through, if yeah. I get a, if there's a sale on them, I grab them. If they're off brand, I don't care. If I go and I get a jar, oh, yeah. if I get a, a glass jar, like from my salsa or my spaghetti or something like that, I wash and I and I disinfect the heck out of it, and it gets kept away over on a on a separate shelf because I can put new. Goodwill's got a lot of jars too. Oh yeah, find them in Goodwill a lot of times. Oh yeah, so it's that's something seriously to think about because most people are thinking, "Oh, I'll be able to can." Well, where are you going to get those jars? If it's a grid down, can freeze. Yeah, if it's a grid down, a World War was big on freezing, so they didn't even have enough jars really. Yeah. And, and so it's one of those things, not only that, they didn't eat as much. They didn't eat as much because they couldn't store as much. They, there's yeah. only so many jars that they had. There's only so much of everything thing that they had. So that's one thing. Next thing I want people to think about uh, and to start thinking about right now, uh, as far as for this week to kind of keep an eye on stuff. Everybody has uh, that has a yard. Uh, or has access to ground should be putting in fruit trees right now. Right now is the time to be planting fruit trees. Not only that, the the trees that are in the ground need to be trimmed back in order to bring in bring in fruit and to continue bearing fruit. All right, you need to start looking at fertilizing what you need to do to take care of those trees because this is the month to do it. Uh, last month mm. and this month for most states, it, it's the very beginning of spring when you want to do all that so that they have the last part uh, the majority of spring to put out roots and then all summer to put out roots and all fall to put out roots and then they can rest during the winter time and then next year uh, by the time next year comes around that tree is probably twice the size of what it was when you first put it in so that's mm-hmm. a big one number two yeah. right now everyone's grass is pretty much dead and it's starting to come back Now's the time to start killing that grass off and putting in a garden flat out. Mm-hmm. It, people did not have gardens, uh, did not have grass and lump big, huge lawns unless you were royalty or rich before World War II and the Great Depression. After the Great Depression and after World War II, people started getting these great jobs and all that. 
And in order to show that mm-hmm. they were making really good money, they stopped growing a garden and started having grass because they wanted to have a huge lawn like the White House. And so it was one of those <laughs> things. And and it's the truth. And so it was one of those things yeah. that they, they started having these lawns. Every house is built on, if you look at the developments, uh, as far as like housing developments and stuff like that, uh, where you have huge uh, subdivisions, all those houses roughly have the same size yard. And if you look at the size of those yards compared to older houses that were built, older divisions that were built, it's roughly the same size lots. That was because that was worked out to be about the right size to have a large enough garden to sustain a person while still having a job and be able to help them out with being able to feed themselves. Hmm. So that's, that is a good point. Yeah. So it's one of those, and that's right about a quarter of an acre can make a big difference. It can make or break many families when it comes to growing. So you start getting rid of that grass and start putting in either raised beds or actual garden beds, start putting in fruit trees, start putting in stuff that's going to continue grow, continue to grow food. And yeah, it may not be the popular thing in the neighborhood, but you know what? When those tomatoes come up, when all that stuff starts coming up, how much you want to bet if you offered it to some of those neighbors, they'd be all about taking it from you. They'd be all about getting it from you. And it's because there is nothing more wonderful than fresh, than fresh food. It, mm-hmm. No matter where it's coming from, people love fresh food. And it's because it's ingrained into our genetics that food mm-hmm. is important. And that food is. Yeah. And so it's one of those things of that's something that people really need to think about this month. Uh, that people need to start thinking like about some French kale. I'll tell you that. Week. Oh yeah, uh, the, the, this week and next week is about the time that people really need to start paying attention to this, and they need to start mm-hmm. looking at their gardens and start looking at that. Uh, after that, yeah. after the gardens come in, there's a whole another thing. We'll talk about that later, to where uh, we'll just kind of keep people thinking about that next thing throughout the year. This is the way that people that are self-sufficient yeah. think on a constant. So you're basis. committing to another podcast. I'll come to, another, to another, podcast. another podcast. Well, we'll get back in in a, in a couple weeks. I'm, I'm going to try to get my friend Tom on here. He's one of the top ufologists in uh, the country right now, uh, or he has been. He's the second most searched ufologist in, in the country. So I'm going to try and get him on. I'm going to try and get uh, William on. Uh, he's he's kind of right up there with you in my prepping council. He lives in Idaho and, He's been feeding me a lot of information that he's finding, you know, on just what's going on under the, you know, behind the scenes. But um, definitely be glad to get you back in here in a couple weeks. And I'm going to try and do this on a Wednesday. It'll, it may come out the next Wednesday. That way I can kind of keep them ready and scheduled to go uh, one ahead of the other. And so you may not hear this till, uh, what's the day, the, the 15th. So you I may not so. hear this till uh next wednesday but we're gonna get it on there and um gonna try to do the live streams on on monday we're gonna do the chaos cast live stream we're gonna try and do things like this um uh on wednesdays and then friday i'm gonna try to have one just an individual one where i just get in there myself and do a deep dive on something 
and that that way we kind of got a good spread of stuff for people to listen to. Um, you know, you you've kind of been with me from the beginning on TikTok, and so you've got a lot of knowledge. You've proven that. You've always had good advice. Um, um, I plan on doing more videos on TikTok this, this year. I've decided to start, and I finally decided to go ahead and start putting out more. I'm not going to monetize or anything, but I'll put it out there. So if you want to share it, um, also too, if people want to go see it and uh, check it out. And then I may even, I'm even thinking about doing some YouTube videos on some stuff uh, just for the mm-hmm. fact of, I want to get the information out there. Uh, one of the worst yeah. things that somebody could do is, is, is to sit on knowledge and watch somebody else. Uh, it's to sit on the knowledge of how to swim and watch somebody else drown. Yeah. So. You know, this uh, platform we're on right now, this Riverside, I know a lot of people use Zoom, and you can even do it with TikTok live stream, like where you can download it. But this has got your whole pretty well your editing suite where you can go in and you can do your clips. You can even cut it into smaller clips for the short video platforms. So I would highly suggest, you know, it's a free thing they have on here through Anchor. And I use Anchor to do my put my podcast on like, most major platforms. Once you get that going, uh, you you can do your video podcast on Spotify because I'm going to try to do a video podcast version of this and just a, an audio because um, I've I've had it. It won't let me share the video out to everywhere. It just lets me share yeah. it to Spotify. So I had to do some finagling to get it on everything else video-wise. But we're going to do audio on this wherever anybody's at. So you'll be able to just tell them, go listen to the chaos cast. I'm going to be on there in a week or so, but yeah, dude, um, definitely look at that. We're going to go ahead and end and, uh, I'll stop the recording, but we can talk afterwards. <laughs> but, All right. No problem. Yeah. Thank y'all for joining the chaos cast with, this is my friend, Jeremy Calgaro. He is a fellow prepper. He's a level A prepper. That's where he comes from. I'm just level C, you know, I'm trying to get there. But, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he is a former Army uh, SEER instructor, survival instructor, and just general prepper trying to keep his own self alive. We thank you all for coming in. Jeremy, we thank you for bringing that knowledge in. Can you tell everybody where they can reach you at? Uh, best bet would be uh, Jeremy. Uh, was it Jeremy C. Survival on TikTok? Okay. And that would be their best place to find me. Uh, and I haven't started up the youtube yet and i have a youtube account but i've only watched stuff on it um the uh, uh, sad part is that's where i get most of my news now <laughs> it's a little more honest <laughs> yeah. uh TikTok but uh YouTube. but i'll i'll let y'all know when i when i get that the video started up on there and uh then i maybe starting up a a uh facebook for the farm to where i can start putting stuff out on that as well and yeah, then, uh, that sounds that's that's uh sounds like some good plans because we need more you know I'm seeing more and more of this happen especially with the what you call the millennial generation the 1980 to 19 to 2000 age group they call us the back to farming generation they were real worried about us there for a while and now hey we're 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 starting up farms you thought we wasn't gonna do nothing but we came back it wasn't just the Looney Tunes and Rugrats from Nickelodeon. We're finally making a difference, but yeah. Uh, and and I thank you for your information you share. We're gonna go ahead and end it, folks. Uh, y'all uh, come back now. You hear?